Welcome to Creatives Do Money. Each week, we explore the topics of everyday money management, solo business ownership, and how we're fueling our creative futures. I'm your host, Eowyn Levine, money coach, longtime self-employed massage therapist, and watermelon enthusiast. And I'm on a mission to help you build the lasting financial stability that frees you up to do your creative work without hustling anxiously for the next dollar. My guest on the show today is Chris Greer. After a lengthy career in sales and marketing, Chris accidentally started her own creative agency in 2015. In 2017, her husband joined her and in 2020, her son joined the team too. Together, they help clients launch online programs, create email funnels, manage their podcasts, YouTube, and more. Basically, all the things that stifle the fun and creation for a client and often keeps them blocked from growing. When Chris isn't cuddled up at home with her dog, a good book, and a glass of wine, she's often traipsing around foreign lands with her husband and son, 2020 accepting, exploring and learning from different cultures and belief systems. Chris recently started a podcast, Grounding Journey, the deeper conversations you've been seeking as a way to connect with other souls on a similar spiritual journey. And Chris and I had a great time chatting about expanding from being a solopreneur into a real agency, how she grew into her own after a really serious financial low point, and what it's been like to grow real foundational financial stability from her own business as opposed to traditional employment. Chris, thank you so much for being here. I'm really glad to talk with you today. I am so excited to be here. I love having conversations with you. So it'll be so much fun to talk today. Yeah, that's right. So we chatted on your podcast, Grounding Journey. Yeah, so it's really fun to be talking with you again. Yes, thank you. Tell me about a pivotal moment in your life that really changed your relationship with money and finances. Oh, that's a good one. I was actually having some issues with my insurance company this morning Mm. and it, it threw me back to, so my story is, I married my high school sweetheart. We were together for 17 years, always kind of struggled financially, you know, just barely got by. We got by, but it was always, you know, like, oh, don't write that check till Tuesday because it'll cash on Thursday and you get paid on Wednesday. Mm. And so after 17 years of being with him, we separated. And so it was suddenly myself, an 11 year old, a mortgage and a car payment. And, And so that was like, it was actually Sunday of this recording. So this is Wednesday. Sunday was nine years since I went on my own. Mm. And it was really neat because that Christmas, my parents paid my mortgage for me as my Christmas present. Mm. And I kind of vowed to myself that I was going to get my stuff together and I was not going to ask for money anymore. And I didn't. And so in nine years now, I did become a single mom Mm. working three jobs with no child support. But in that nine years, I went back to school. I got my graphic design degree. I now own a creative agency that is a six-figure creative agency that employs myself, my son, and my husband. So there was a long journey for me, but it was so empowering. And I love Mm -hmm. that we're talking about it today because this is kind of my anniversary area and time of really remembering that empowerment and that determination that I found. So I could go a lot more in depth about my story, but you probably don't hear all the details. (laughs) It's always so interesting to try and identify that moment where things shifted. And I'm curious if just within that process of going through a separation and realizing how on your own you were and getting that help from your parents, Are there any moments or a moment that really sticks out as one where something sort of shifted in you and you really went seeking for something different? You know, I think it was like, I don't know that there's a specific moment. There Mm. was like like six months worth of moments Mm. of really knowing the value of my life, but knowing the value of making it good and not struggling. And I think my big inspiration for going back to school was my son at the time was Mm. 13. I was in a happy relationship, but I was very independent. And so like when we went out, I paid two thirds and he paid a third, you know, even though he was willing to pay more or all, I was very 
like I can take care of myself. This is my thing. And I, and I remember thinking that my son's going to go to college in four years and I have no idea how I'm going to pay for that or how I'm going to pay for retirement. Mm. And that's when I made that choice to go back to school. And, and, And my true story of my business now is it all kind of happened organically and by accident. Mm. because I didn't start out to have a creative agency. I went back to school and said, I'm going to get a job at an agency. I'm going to have 401k. I'm going to have insurance. I'm going to have benefits. And I listened to all the kids and I say kids, cause I was in my late thirties and they were in their, you know, 1920s talk about, Oh, I'm going to start my own agency. I'm going to have all my own clients. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I was like, no, like I want <laughs> safety. I want security. I mm. want somebody else to pay my bills. Mm. You know, like I want to know somebody else is paying my payroll. Mm. Um, and, and then it just kind of evolved into, I had a client as a side gig while I was still in school and she referred somebody and she referred somebody. And then uh, two years into it, business was enough that I said to my husband, you know, I either, cause he's now my husband. So mm-hmm. new husband, yeah, um, good husband. <laughs> um, <laughs> I said to him, you know, I'm busy enough. I either have to hire somebody or I'm going to lose business. And so that's another pivotal moment. So there was, there were like pepperings of all these moments. And so my husband at that time had been a warehouse manager for an office furniture company for 10 years, mm. miserable, hated what he did came home grumpy every night, you know? Um, and so he's like, well, what about me? Mm. And and he had no formal training. He didn't know any of my programs. And, and and so I guess this was another neat story. And so we went on a trip to Scandinavia for 10 days. It was the first time we'd ever been on a trip without my, our son. Mm. I'm not allowed to call him mine. I have to call him ours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and so it was the first time we were on a trip together, just us. And I remember sitting in one of the old churches. It's an 11th century Lutheran church in a town in Sweden. And just sitting there and being like, okay, God, here it is. Whatever it's supposed to be, I'm handing it over to you. And I'm not a really like church person, but this mm-hmm. you can't help being in this 11th century church and not just be like, mm-hmm. I want to pray. <laughs> um, and, and, and so I, I just, you know, visualize myself handing it over to God and saying, whatever you want to do and and didn't think anything else about it. And we got home three or four days later, I was working. Actually, I didn't log on till later because I wanted to go to yoga first and went to yoga and I heard the song and I can't remember the name of it, but I have a recording of it because like I just turned my phone on and recorded driving down the road and I was just crying like bawling, crying. And I called my husband and I was like, this is it. I'm done. You hate your job. I need help. Quit. And he turned in his notice the next day. So, so I would say that was another one of the big, like if there was a moment and that was November 1st, 2017, and we are still rocking and rolling. Oh my goodness. I have so many questions to ask. So, well, let's follow on from that. What areas did you free up for him to work on initially? How did you figure that out? Bringing on someone who didn't necessarily have expertise in what you needed done? It was interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Being my husband. um, So we have since, you know, there was just a lot of like, because as a creative agency, what we do is it's, we launch online programs for clients. We help them with their podcast. We help them with their websites. So I wasn't the best boss and I just kind of threw him in the middle of it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm a much better boss to our son when he joined the company, which is funny because I have to tell my husband, Matthew is my husband. Kevin is our son. And sometimes Matthew pulls a me and just like, Kevin, figure it out. And I'm like, (laughs) 19. Remember how much you hated me for doing that? Stop. (laughs) So it's been interesting. But we have since then figured out what he enjoys in the business. Hmm. And we've done several trainings where he's actually gone to training. So he runs all of our CRM, which is content customer relation management. So he does all of our membership sites, our websites, our um, emails, things like that. And I get to really interact with the clients and do the strategic planning with them and then correct his designs because he's a boy. I'm a girl. 
we design for clients who are normally female. Let's say we definitely, we, it kind of like ping pong with us as we Mm -hmm. bounce the ball back and forth on projects. Mm. You both just grew so organically into this work together. It sounds more comfortable than it was. <laughs> oh, believe me, I know it wasn't necessarily a smooth process at all, but you both sort of listened. You listened to what your hearts were saying and you followed some of the breadcrumbs that had been left and said, all right, let's see how this goes. And you figured it out. That's exciting. Well, and there's been so much personal growth for me in that experience because I did work from home by myself for two years. And, Mm. you know, years before that, I worked independently for myself. So it was really a challenge for me to have an employee and to have it as my husband. So it it was a lot of personal growth in how do I talk to people? How do I interact with them? Because I'm also the kind of person who's like, I figured it out. Why can't you? Yeah. You know, just figure it out. And so it, it, it did really teach me a lot about myself and how I talk to people and how I want to interact with people. And what are some of those changes that you made in communication? Taking deep breaths. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, One of the things too, I think has really helped us. So, you know, our son joined our team nine months ago when he graduated Mm -hmm. and he handles our podcasting. And I've always, you know, I'm mom, so I'm always a little more patient with him than I am with my husband. But Kevin joining our team has helped me a lot because I I see the difference in how I talk to the two of them. Mm. And so now I kind of try to talk to everybody like they're an adult, not an Mm. employee. Mm. But one of the biggest things is, so my office is our formal dining room. So it's at the bottom of the stairs. It's attached to the kitchen. So I'm in like the main flow of traffic where our son's office is upstairs in the corner of the house. My husband's office is in the far end. Like you got to be going there. And so everybody always just kind of passed through my office and talked and interacted with me. And and one of the biggest things was setting the boundary of if I'm looking at my computer typing, don't just start talking, you know, and I have two chairs behind my desk. And so they both learned now either stand at my door until I look at you because that's when I was getting so short with them because I was distracted. Or Kevin, our son, will sit in a chair and just like, let me know when you can talk, mom. So that was something really good for me. And I think it's really important for anybody who works from home is boundaries. Mm. Is knowing, not even just boundaries with the people in the house, but we also put doors on the the dining room so that I can close the doors on the weekend. Because it's really easy to just walk through my office going into the kitchen or the laundry room. So now I shut the doors. And I don't walk through my office. And, but when I'm in my office, I'm in my office. So I think there's boundaries. And, you know, being creative, we're kind of all over the place. So having some structure for me, for them, that yeah. would be my first thing I would say really helped. Because yeah. that, by creating those boundaries, I'm also more able to talk to them and help answer their questions instead of being irritated that they interrupted me without even knowing I was irritated at them. Yeah. I feel like something you also alluded to is learning that nobody else can read our mind. (laughs) Because when you're someone who's had all the things in your head and you have all those, you know, what would be in a standard operating procedure is often in our heads. And if we haven't externalized it, it might not get done the way that we usually do it. And so it can feel really frustrating when you're like, wait, no, but it's supposed to be done like this. And it's like, we have this sense of like, no, this is the right way to do it. And why don't you get this? Absolutely. I, I make the joke that I'm not a perfectionist or I wouldn't call myself a perfectionist, but my husband might because I am formally trained in this. I have been doing it for a long time. And as I mentioned, I've worked from home before. So I learned how to have that structure where it's new to my son and it's new to my husband of having that structure. So definitely being able to politely voice my opinion or offer suggestions. And so I now have this thing when they come to me, I'm like, do you want my opinion or do you want me just to listen to your problem? And sometimes they want me just to listen because they need to figure it out. And sometimes they're like, no, I don't know how to get out of this. That's so smart. So just to ask someone, what do you need? What, how can I be helpful? Cause that's mm-hmm. also like where an assumption can creak in, creak yes. in. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and that's like just trying to let go of control because I really mm-hmm. like I may be high standards, but I'm not a control freak. Like I want you to have your own clients. I want you to handle this stuff. I don't want to always be involved. So by asking helps me not just take over because mm. I do, you know, one of my character defects is that I'm used to being the single mom. So I'm going to think I've got to do it myself to prove something. That reminds me of a question that came up for me when you were first talking about that moment when you were seeking a conventionally employed position and then end up ended up working for yourself. How do you feel your relationship to stability and security versus independence and freedom? How has that developed over the years? Do you feel like through working for yourself, you have established to the point where you feel some of the security you had hoped for in employment? So that's a great question. Yes and no. We officially became a corporation in 2020, which was a big deal for us. In 2019, we spent 50 days abroad across three different trips because we were able to work location independent. Our biggest trip, we spent 20 days in Portugal, Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. So we've been playing a lot. And I think that was really important for us in 2019 to play because my husband had really not enjoyed his job and not enjoyed his life. And he had to fall in love with what we were doing so that it it gave us a passion for what we were doing. And I have a travel addiction. I need a 12-step program for it. 2020 has really been a challenge because we can't travel. (laughs) But 2020 has been a really great year for us to, okay, we're incorporating, we're working through our expenses, through our budget. So we've shifted a lot in 2020, but I think it's been easier to make that shift because we played a lot in 2019. We found that passion for working together, for working from home, for building this lifestyle. And then in 2020, We've really, you know, we're working with our accountant, we have payroll, we incorporated and do payroll now so that we're able to do 401ks, we're able to, because, you know, self-employment tax will bite you in the wazoo. And I will tell you this year, because 2019, we paid self-employment tax. And even though we're incorporated in 2020, our payroll taxes have not caught up with each other. So in 2019, I mean, excuse me, in 2020, We have been paying payroll taxes in monthly through the corporation, but we're also paying at the wazoo for self-employment tax, you know, the pre pre pre-estimated tax or something. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's been a challenge. And, And I think that becomes a real challenge when you're like, okay, this is my real gig. It's not a side gig anymore. It's a business. This is what we're doing. And that's taken a lot of planning and, you know, we're paying $1,000 $1,000 a month in payroll taxes, plus we are both paying $1,000 a quarter in personal taxes, you know? So, I mean, I just actually paid an $11,000 tax bill last month yeah. and, and I'm like, I'm going to get half of it back, fingers crossed next year, mm-hmm. but it, it definitely, you know, we're planning for the future so that we have social security, that we have all these things, but it's hard. It's a challenge when you go to do that. And you're like, this is my, as I said, this is my real deal, not a side gig anymore. Mm. So it sounds like the process of incorporating this year was both symbolic in the sense of, okay, we're taking ourselves seriously. This is becoming, it's kind of like the company is developing its own life outside of your own identity. Mm -hmm. But then also you've been working to stabilize the company in the sense of like taking your your money management seriously. It sounds like you're examining expenses, deciding what's necessary and what isn't. Is that what partly what you were working on? Absolutely. And one of the other reasons we incorporated is because we met with our accountant and, and we're saving like 5% by paying it as payroll taxes versus self-employment taxes. So that was another reason. So it is kind of getting all the ducks in a row so that we can move forward yeah. with actual stability instead of just playing and being like, oh, hey, you know, we've got a little bit of money. Let's, what are we going to do now? Yeah. So I assume that wasn't the first time you sat down and talked with your accountant about your business. Was it that you had reached a certain income goal that prompted some of the reexamination of like company structure and how you do things? 
I think it was a couple of different things. It was definitely, so we raised our rates in 2019 from just my personal VA rate to like, we're a creative agency. So there was definitely an income spike. There was also, my husband joined us full time. So we were billing more hours and we wanted to make sure that we were just prepared for our future because we also, we haven't started it yet because it's been 2020, but we want to really do our IRAs and have the business be able to do it and looking at, so this is 2020 is our first real year of, it's the first full year at our rate. It's the first full year with both of us. So in 2021, there will be a lot more understanding because we'll have a whole year to look at as crazy as this year has been, it'll still give us a full baseline and we can plan it. Uh, our accountant's funny. He's a great accountant. I've known him through multiple businesses I've worked with. He handles my parents' stuff, so he's really great. But he doesn't really know how to handle my business because it's not a traditional business, which is what creatives find. You know, there's definitely some months we really rock it out. Like right now, because it's Thanksgiving, Christmas, we know that our clients are pulling back and they're spending time with their family because that's one of the benefits of being creatives. And I think that's one of the things that you really help people plan with is we know November, December is not going to bill the amount of hours. How do we plan for that? How do yeah. we make sure that we're not overspending because, oh, look how much money we made this month. Let's go buy new shoes for everybody or something. <laughs> and that's been interesting to really, I mean, I'm not using QuickBooks yet because I'm still on a spreadsheet really because I just don't want to learn QuickBooks yet. Like I want to make the switch in 2021 to having somebody as a bookkeeper because I just don't want to learn something else. I, I do everything on a spreadsheet and I look at it and I break it down into categories and it, it's interesting at the end of the month to see how much we build, how much we expense mm -hmm. and, and really think about that planning part. Yeah, for sure. So how do you plan ahead for lean months? Are you putting money aside in a business savings account or you leave it sitting in your checking account or have another system? What do you have in place for yourself? So I am a checking account junkie. Like I have so many accounts. It's hysterical. Uh -huh. My husband laughs at me when he looks at our account because, you know, I have a personal account, a personal savings account, uh, a business account, a business savings account, an adventure account, uh, and then another adventure account. So one is our travel adventure account, and then one is our business adventure. So when we're ready to invest in a new training, when we're ready to invest in a new program, that's where I kind of put that money aside. And so last year we spent, I mean, almost $10,000 on training, knowing that it was valuable, but not wanting to be able to have to pull it aside. So I, I put a, a certain amount when, you know, we have, I'm just going to say round numbers. You know, if we have $5,000 worth of expenses and we make $8,000 that month, then I take that $8,000 and I put 2000 in savings and a thousand in different accounts so that I keep track of, you know, cause I think when you have it all in one account, at least for me, it's easy to be like, Oh, wow, look how much money we have. But if you have it in a savings account, if you have it in another account, then when I'm looking at my business checking account, I see that balance. I don't see all the extra money. And I'm one who, I don't keep more than a thousand dollars in my business checking account. I keep it everywhere else because then I don't think, Oh, look how great we're doing, you know? And, and I also, another way I do it is our clients all pay us in PayPal. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them because most of our clients are all over the country. And so I leave the money in PayPal when they pay me until the, I do billing and then whatever, cause we have clients who work on retainers also, and, and that's, I think, so important for creatives or anybody who works with retainers is don't put that money in your account until you've done those hours. Because sometimes a client pays a retainer that will take two months to expend. And if you put it all in your account, then the second month you're working for free yeah. because you spent that money. And I think that's really important to not, not count it until you've actually built the hours. Amen. Yeah. I work with several, you know, wellness practitioners and in the context of my massage practice. So when you sell like a 10 session package, it's exactly that the money has to go somewhere and sit and you just transfer 
the amount into your checking, your business checking account whenever they actually book a session. Otherwise, the cash stays in reserve because it is a form of discipline. You have to do it because it can be exciting to see a big chunk of cash sitting there. Yes, especially because I was an esthetician for many years. So I understand, you know, Christmas, you get tons of gift certificates and you get tons of business. And then it comes in like February and everybody cashes it in and you're like, oh. So I think it is, it's as important to learn to not spend it until you've built it as it is to learn the boundaries of working from home. Because I think so many creatives work from home at this point. Those are two of the biggest and hardest lessons when you're working for yourself, I believe. Definitely. That along with just time management and productivity in my experience, like those three areas are big mm-hmm. for sure. Absolutely. Would you tell us just a little more about your business? What kind of clients you work with? And I know you specialize in Entreport. Is that right? I know almost nothing about the program other than that I see it in the marketing of some people who's stuff I sign up for. Yes. Thank you for letting me talk about my business. Our company is called CNG Ideas. And so it's creative marketing and graphics ideas. And my initials are CNG. And the time that I did it, everybody was branding their business by their name and they still are. And that's great, but I'm too shy. (laughs) Like I like to be the girl behind the woman who's making the difference in the world, which has been really interesting starting my own podcast. So we... We work with clients and I really try to work with clients that we align with that really connect with what we're doing because I think the the kind of business that we do, it's a relationship, it's a marriage, and you have to really connect with the purpose because we handle your writing emails if you want us to. We handle creating your program launch and we've done so many program launches that I just did one for a client and we built a monthly membership. We did a 12-week intensive class and then a mastery year-long program. So I come in and help you flesh out your ideal client avatar, what your message is, how to really create it, what your offering is, and then create your sales page and any follow-up with your email funnels, things like that. And we do use Entreport, which some people aren't familiar with. You may know Kajabi. Entreport is MailChimp on steroids. So everybody knows MailChimp or a constant contact, but Entreport actually manages your membership site. It takes all of your client purchases. It does everything automated, which is so amazing. And I have another client who just did her first online program. She's always done her Women on Purpose program in person, but with 2020, she had to take it online. So we set up the sales page. We created the membership site. Everybody purchases it. And each week it releases the email, the content, people can log in. So it really takes that level. And what I loved about this client, her name is Blue Russ. And she, she was in constant contact. She was in Wix. She had Eventbrite and something else, Eventzilla or something. And she had all these different programs. And so I was like, you know, when you add that up, and you add the time that you're connecting all those up, you're spending the same as you would on Entreport. But with Entreport, you're making it all on it automated. And my favorite part, this is where I was getting, I'm sorry, it took me a minute to get there. She's like, so you're telling me if I'm going to tell the universe I'm ready to play big, that I got to tell the universe I'm ready to play big. And I'm like, yes, yes, you do. And so she made the jump into Entreport. And it's fun because I don't think it's because she made the jump into Entreport, but it's because she said to the universe, I'm ready. And her business is just expanding. And it's been really lots of fun to watch. That's what we do with Entreport. And my husband, one of the big trainings we did last year is he is actually Entreport certified consultant. So he's one of, I think it's about 200 in the country who are certified consultants. And this goes back to another part we were talking about is I've been working with Entreport since 2016. I never became certified. I'm just a consultant, but I'm not a certified consultant. And so one of the things was it was really important to give him a niche. And so we went to the program. I just did the two-day class. He did the full extensive class and he became the certified consultant. And, And that was one of my growing moments of learning to let him be the expert at something instead of me. And he, like, just before we got on the call, he came in and was like, I I need you to look at so-and-so's stuff because I'm not sure what I'm doing with it. But it's really fun because now we bounce ideas off and I'm like, I want to do this. I can't figure it out. How do you do it? And, and that's been really neat. So, so it's a lot of fun. And then our son joined our team, as I mentioned, and he is a millennial. 
well, he's the tail end of the millennial, I guess, but he does our YouTube marketing, our podcasting, because that age group, you know, I'm, I'm the Instagram mom. Like I know how to market you that way, but bringing him in really brings that younger generation who always has an earbud in their ear. And, and that's one of the things we call ourselves the creative agency, non-agency because we're family, but we cover all your demographics mm. except for like, you know, your 60 year olds. But <laughs> that, that's what's fun is how much of the demographics we cover by being a family agency. Mm. Thanks for letting me share all that. No, gladly. I think it's fascinating. And I think helping people with some of these more advanced programs that are really synthesizing all the challenges of just creating an integrated online business without losing your mind. Uh, it's, it's a real offering to get good at those programs and help people with them because it makes, it makes such a difference. I know exactly what you're talking about. We have six different programs that are talking to each other in more or less functional ways. And you've got multiple logins. And if you change something in one program, you have to change it in the other five programs. And yeah, there's a lot of wasted time, well, not wasted time and energy, but it's time and energy that can be put towards other things when you get to the point where you can move up a level in terms of the software. But there's a huge learning curve, a little bit like what you're saying with QuickBooks. I mean, I think QuickBooks is a lot more designed for the layperson than Entreport to the best of my knowledge. But yeah, I think it's great that you're niching down. That's good for your business. And then it's great for your clients to just simplify and be able to spend more on the more of their time on what they're really good at. Well, and I think one of the things, so my podcast, as you mentioned, it's grounding journey. So when our son said, I want to join the team and we were like, uh, okay, I don't know what to have you do. And then we had two clients ask to start podcasts. And I'm like, I've never listened to a podcast, you know? And so we, we started learning podcasting, but I hadn't listened to podcasts. I hadn't produced a podcast. So I started listening and I created my own podcast, which is totally just my own fun podcast, except now it's turned into a side gig for me. But what's been really interesting with that is I became my own worst client. And, <laughs> and what we all experience, and this is where I was going when you say about learning all the different programs, is you spend so much time figuring out how to connect to this, how to write that email, how to do this, that you lose your passion and you lose your creativity and I did that through setting up Grounding Journey because I know how to create a website. I know how to do ICA. I know how to do all that stuff, but doing it myself was sucking the joy out of it. So there is that point of, and this is where I think you would come in so amazingly. I was telling my husband about you this morning when we were talking about what I was doing today, because there is that mindset. There's that unspoken rule that to be creative, to be a practitioner who makes a difference we're not supposed to prosper. And that's mm. so BS. So taking that mindset and, and it's not just mindset, like you actually have to do it. You have to look at your numbers, you have to plan it, but being willing to say, I want to be creative. I'm going to hire somebody to do the tech side. And this is how I'm going to afford it. Like one of my clients became an affiliate within a program and so what she made off of her affiliate, she used to pay us to do the tech side so that she could do her enjoyment. And that's a conversation I had to have with my husband and my son recently in working on Grounding Journey is saying, I need to be able to be creative. I need you guys to take on this tech side. So it's been, an, it's been a neat nine months of being my own client and really experiencing what they go through, the judgment, the the feeling what happens, the nervousness, because you're so vulnerable being creative that having somebody who's got your back instead of being stuck on all the little details is important. Yeah. And I think it can feel different to hire people to do things that you're actually doing in your day-to-day -day and that you have been doing, that feels different than hiring someone to print your graphics. It feels different to hire someone to do your email marketing than it does to, you know, create the software that you run your books on or something like that. And I think there's no real division there. I think it's just another step of asking people to support you and paying them to do so. It just feels different because you've been doing that thing yourself. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's a matter of a little bit of fear sometimes. Sure. Because we're afraid of how to handle, do we have the money to make that expense? And then you have to look at like, do you, not have the money, you know, I don't know how I want to word it, 
but like, is it going to cost you more by not asking for support and not asking for help and not hiring? And that's where I think your services really come into play of knowing how we're going to budget, knowing how to plan. Okay. I only have a hundred dollars, but where is that hundred dollars best spent right now so that it can create a thousand dollars for me. And I, I think that so many people need that help because we've all lived paycheck to paycheck or, you know, especially right now in 2020, we hear so much about the economy and so much about people struggling that it, it plants that seed of contracting that we can't yeah. spend money where in fact we really need to expand and, and not be afraid because that's yeah. how the universe can really provide for us. Well, and I think one of the things that can prevent people from just getting down to the nitty gritty with their numbers is that it can just feel boring and unnecessary. But I think that moment that you highlighted in your client's experience of realizing that by canceling the subscriptions for the various different programs and then subscribing for Entreport, there was no real increase in expense, but there was going to be a huge increase in productivity and results. And it's not always that way. Sometimes you are genuinely investing more money and you're trusting that that in the end will increase your revenue as well. But I feel like you can be much more grounded and clear in your decision-making if you just know what your numbers are to begin with. And you know, okay, well, if I can cut here and here, then at least I can not put a huge amount of pressure on myself because I think if you spend too much in your business, it, it can become that pressure to increase income and quickly mm-hmm. can be become a destructive force if those thoughts are allowed to persist. And so, yeah, it's an interesting question. How much, how much can I afford versus what's my return on investment going to be versus how much risk can I handle? There's a lot of, a lot of threads that come together in that kind of a decision. Absolutely. I know that and I'm, I'm just a Excel spreadsheet girl, but when it was just me on my own, I started doing an Excel spreadsheet and I don't know that you would call it a budget, but it probably was of where I listed out, you know, my car insurance, my food expenses, you know, everything I needed, how much I made a month and how much extra that meant I had a month because knowing how much extra you have a month, then you're like, Oh, you know, I've got $200 extra this month. I can go out to dinner once a you know, or I can go get a pedicure and treat myself, but you have to see the in black and white and it is boring. It's totally boring, but it's so vital and it's freeing because once you actually, I know for me, once I really looked at everything and I'm like, okay, this is where I can cut. Just like you said, oh, but look how much it frees up for me. And I didn't really need that money. Like I can pack my lunch. I remember, I don't remember the statistic, but I do remember hearing something like, you know, $5 a day for lunch, which who pays $5 for lunch? If you don't buy your lunch, how much money it adds up to in a month. And so many people just run through the drive-through on the way home or something. And, and meal planning became a big thing for me because I realized how much money was getting spent on food outside of the house. So you really can see those things when you write it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. As you're talking about budgeting, I was thinking again about your journey, just becoming a single mom and figuring it out for yourself. And I'm wondering if that moment separating from from your husband was the biggest moment of financial challenge for you, or if there are other moments in your life when you reflect back that really stand out as especially financially challenging. I, nine years later, will say it was empowering. Definitely when I was in it, it was hard and a struggle and You know, I was an esthetician, so I worked at two different salons. I ran between clients. I did that gig that any massage therapist, esthetician knows. And and I I I ran a lot. And then I sat down one day and was like, how much money am I actually making by the hour that I have to take down to drive to that place and then I drive back and gas? And you know, you do make good money if you've got a solid client base at one place. And that's when I made the choice to go back into sales and marketing because I had been in sales and marketing for 20 years. I went to aesthetic school for fun because my husband had a stable job and I wanted to a career shift because sales and marketing was just sales and marketing. And I wanted to interact with people. And in that moment of like, I'm running back and forth so much, I looked at the numbers. I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't making any money. I might as well be working at 
you know, fast food for what it was breaking down to. And I went back into sales and marketing and did skincare at night. So it was a real struggle. I, on Wednesdays, I remember I worked my full-time job all day till five. I saw three clients that night. My parents were amazing. They kept my son for me on Wednesday nights. I got him back Thursdays at eight o'clock. And so I would see clients on Wednesday night and Thursday night, and then I would pick him up. It did offer me the flexibility that I never missed a game. I never missed presentation at school or something, but it was definitely hard. There was lots of tears. There was empowering by knowing I was the one who controlled my money. I looked at my numbers. I knew what I could cut out, what I couldn't do. I think that in every struggle, once we embrace the struggle, we move through that struggle and look back at it. There's so much empowerment to it because of what it taught us. And my grandmother used to always, she was an interior decorator for a living. So whenever something was looking shabby in my house or something, she would basically come in and fix it. And in my house that I was living at, you know, I had dogs and old carpet and I wanted new carpet and I saved up for like three months and I got a quote on the carpet and I'm like, Oh, well, I can't do that. <laughs> um, but then I went to Lowe's and I was like, Hey, I can afford flooring. And that was the first thing I ever did for my house that I didn't ask my parents or my grandmother for money. Now, mind you, I was like 36 at this point. So I well should have been running my own house decorations. And that was really empowering. I still look at the living room floor and it's, you know, eight years old and it's scratched and it needs to be replaced. But I'm like, I love that floor. <laughs> uh, so I think that once we learn how to manage our money and, you know, we plan because I want a new flooring. So it took me months to look at how much I could save, how many times could I not eat out and have the money to do that. And I do not do credit. Like I have credit cards, but I pay my credit cards off every month and I only have credit cards because they're sky miles and it pays for my travel. So that was a real challenge for me is, you know, I had to know what I had and not put it on credit and think, oh, I'll pay it off because I mm. just don't, I can't do that. Was that a lesson learned for you around credit cards or have you never really relied on them? Uh, in my first marriage, credit was a lot of problem for us because my first husband had no idea how to manage money. And as long as it, like he was the guy, what do you mean I don't have money? I still have checks. And, and one of the things I used to do the first way I built my savings account up and I was with him from 17 to 35, but he would, you know, we had overdraft protection and he would write checks and our overdraft would kick in. Well, I never put that money in my balance book. So if overdraft kicked in a hundred dollars and I paid that hundred dollars back, I still had an extra hundred dollars in our account. So when we actually got pregnant with our son, I had saved up like $4,700 by doing that over three years and was able to take the time to be pregnant and not work through my whole pregnancy or the time right after. So I, there's little tricks like that that I think are really good of like, if you dip in your overdraft, mm. don't count it, you know? Mm. For sure. Yeah. It's a process to get out of the habit of relying on credit cards. Mm -hmm. and we all sort of have our way through it. But I think realizing that we can is a pivotal moment. And that's partly what I'm hearing when you describe that experience of using the overdraft function, saying, oh, okay, so I can actually just prepare in advance and don't need to put groceries and other things on credit cards, or at least in the sense that I'm carrying a balance from month to month. It's using them as a tool as possible. It just depends on your history and your psychology and where you're at right now. Well, and I think with being creatives or being business owners, you know, for me, I bill once a month. So it's not like I'm working for somebody else where I get paid every Friday or every other Friday. So I do put everything on credit cards, but I'm not living paycheck to paycheck because I planned what I was making so that I made sure I'm a couple months ahead with what mm. I'm working for clients. And it's taken me a couple years to get there. And that's the thing for everybody who's starting a business is like, give yourself grace, like yeah. plan now you'll get where you want to, as long as you plan now, but don't look back and be like, Oh crud, look how much money I made. Where did it all go? Yeah. Um, and that's why I have all these separate savings accounts and I put money here and there and retainers and um, yeah, because I, I think it is really important. And, and like I said, I, I like to put everything on credit cards and pay it off once a month because I love the sky miles. And I actually learned that from somebody who owned, um, she no longer owns it, but she owned like the biggest 
most profitable spa in our town, she put everything on her Sky Miles card because it was a business expense. I mean, you know, it was a business credit card, but then she had all these miles that she could go play with. So her business paid for her to have fun. And, you know, that's one of the perks of having your own business. Like you're not embezzling from your company. You're just monetizing your credit card use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure the IRS won't come after me for that comment, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's a good question. I have no idea what the IRS feels about Sky Miles. (laughs) Right. I don't think it counts. (laughs) But we have Um, used the Sky Miles for like trainings and trips and things like that too. Let me just throw that into that. (laughs) Uh, So a couple more money questions for you. I'm curious what or who helps you the most with your money? You know, I really do it all. And then of course I have my accountant, but this is just a funny. So when I was younger, my dad used to take me to the grocery store and he would tell me how much we had for groceries that week. And I had my little calculator and I had to add it up the whole time. And then I had to write the check. And so he taught me how to do that when I was young. And I think that's something we don't learn or teach our kids right now because they don't write checks. I mean, like I have a checkbook, but that's only because my son was in school and I needed to write checks to school. Yeah. So my dad taught me a lot and I've, I've tried to teach my son that my mom likes to spoil him because he's her grandson and he's her, you know, so yeah. she may have counteracted what I did, but I, I think it comes, a lot of it comes from learning and teaching your kids to how to manage money and how to be careful with it. Yeah. But I definitely keep track of everything on spreadsheets. And for me, it was a big deal because I had to prove to myself that I, cause my first husband never paid child support. He just disappeared. And so wow. it, it was a struggle. Like it was a huge struggle for me. And fortunately I was blessed with a great job and a boss who was flexible and would let me go back to school and do things. And so I, I have worked really hard to get really good with managing our money. You also had such a wonderful foundation. I love that story of your dad and the my version of that story is we go to the supermarket, we buy whatever we want and it all goes on the credit card and we have no idea how we're going to pay it until, you know, whenever the bill is due six weeks from now. Yeah. yeah. It, it teaches you different things. Let's put it that way. And then honestly, it's not all bad, but it's definitely different. Yeah. I think just having that awareness of what you do with your money, like just being a faithful tender of the money that comes our way. I think when you earn it yourself and when you do all the marketing and when you are managing your business, you know, you're responsible for all of it, that it's not even that the money is more precious, but feels extra important to tend to that money and spend it intentionally. And part of that intention, it's not all about like being quote unquote good with your money. It's just being intentional about it, like Mm -hmm. intentional in spending it on travel because that is meaningful and something you love. So making sure that you're spending in alignment with your values is really, it's acknowledging and appreciating all the the work and creativity that went into calling that money in to begin with. I love that you said intentional. It it made me think, you know, like I'm a huge Goodwill fan. Like you can find amazing stuff at Goodwill. And if you know the good Goodwills, you can find really great stuff at them. But we, and, and I'm a real thrifty travel nut. So like our 20 days that we spent abroad, I found a ticket. And what inspired that trip is I, I found a ticket. It was $220 one way for both of us from Boston to Portugal with a four-day layover in Portugal. And then we got to Norway. So like when I say we spent 20 days abroad, we spent less than $4,000, including all of our travel, our Airbnb, all of our food, like everything. I'm very intentional. And, and you know, like we fly with a carry-on because I don't want to pay to for a check bag. And when everybody makes fun of us that <laughs> how packed we are. And, and I'm like, you know, when I'm like 60, I don't want to still be flying with a carry-on and, you know, 20 pounds. But right now I can do it. So I'm, I'm having fun with it. And one of my son's friends, their family is Patagonia and new cars every two years and this and that. And, and she said to my son one day, how does your family travel so much? Because like my, her parents make more than we do. And, you know, she's like, but my family goes to the beach like once every other year. And it is very intentional. 
you know, we're, we're very intentional. I love that. I'm going to use that word. Do you have any big money related goals that you're working towards right now? So for me, I think my big one is having a 401k and retirement because I don't have that. And so my husband and I will both be 45 in 2021 and we've gotten really stable. And, you know, I look at the nine years that I've been through and where I've been, and I'm so proud of myself. Like, I'm like, wow, I would read her story. Oh wait, that's my story. (laughs) Um, Because I'm, I'm taking it a little bit at a time. You know, when I became on my own, I had no credit and I got a $300 secured credit card and I worked on that. And now I have like so much credit. I I literally have to tell the credit card companies to stop raising my credit limit because they give me money and I pay it off every month. So they're like, Hey, spend more. But that's really our big thing is to keep moving forward. But for me, the next forward step is building our retirement. Mm, Awesome. We've arrived at the final question. Are you ready? I don't know. What is your favorite fruit? Oh, I'd say pomegranate. Mm. It's definitely a fun one to eat. You should have fun while you're eating. This is true. Yes. Let's, <laughs> let's have fun while we're spending our money and while we're eating. <laughs> yes. I mean, life is all about to me fun and passion because what's the point otherwise? You know, you can't have great days every day, but you've got to remember that there's a point and there's fun and passion in it. Let's finish on that note. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and the Grounding Journey podcast and your work? So I have, because it's multiple gigs, if you're interested in talking to me about our creative agency, it's cmgideas.com. It's creative marketing graphics, ideas.com. And then for Grounding Journey and my fun podcast where I talk about connecting with women and yoga and chakras and favorite books you've read. And it's all about the spiritual journey. It's groundingjourney.com or you can find me on Instagram at grounding underscore journey. Wonderful. And we'll link to all of those things in the show notes for sure. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun to talk last week about spirituality and sensation and then to talk money because it's it's how life kind of merges together. So thank you for having me. Definitely. And it feels like there's been some some threads that have woven between the two conversations, which has been really nice. Special thanks to Michael P. Atkinson for help with producing this episode and for composing its beautiful music. If you enjoyed listening today, I hope you'll return and tell your creative friends and colleagues about it, and also to take a moment to leave a review wherever it is that you listen. Positive reviews make a huge difference in getting the word out about Creatives Do Money. And in the meantime, wishing you all money, business, and life success, whatever that means to you.